We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. E. Welcome to Resilient Schools. I'm excited to have on the podcast today Rachel Archambault. She's an SLP program specialist for Broward County Public Schools. After a traumatic event happened at her workplace on February 14th, 2018, she looked for ways to help work with students and herself after trauma. She found trauma-informed care and has been presenting nationally to SLPs and other providers on how trauma-informed care can be used in their setting. She runs the Instagram account at ptsd.slp, which discusses trauma-informed care from a speech lens. Rachel, welcome to Resilient Schools. Thanks, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to chat with you today uh, because we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about some tough things. But I think that it's uh, it's worthwhile. Um, this show, Resilient Schools, is all about helping schools be resilient to whatever challenges they face, uh, including and up to really tragic events that happen. And uh, these events are not easy to talk about. They can be uncomfortable. They can be distressing. Uh, but it's important, I believe, to talk about how to manage them and what to do because uh you want to have some information when you experience something difficult in your school. And so, um, so we're going to talk about that. And uh, if, if you don't want to hear about that, feel free to not listen. It's totally fine. Um, so where, where I'd like to start out though, is for you to go over the pillars of trauma informed care and what that, what that looks like and how we know whether or not what we're doing is, is, uh, an appropriate thing. And, um, and then I'll ask some other questions after that. So let's start there. Okay. So depending on what website you look at, there might be three pillars of trauma informed care all the way up to 12, but, um, there's a couple that kind of mesh together. So typically it's safety, trustworthiness, and transparency, peer support, collaboration and mutuality, empowerment and choice, and then cultural, historical, and gender issues. So when I talk about those six pillars, it is just a way for you to consider, am I offering 
safety to whoever is in front of you, whether that is the students that are in front of you, the administration, the staff that's in front of you. Um, are you offering safety? And safety can be emotional or physical safety. It can be a lot of things and safety is a different feeling to each person. Um, trustworthiness and transparency, especially what uh, happened at my school, uh, transparency has always been a, a difficult thing. So for the teachers, the staff and the students that have been there, but a lot for the staff, they have not felt that in crisis or even after crisis, people were being transparent. The, pe the people that were running things were not being transparent about the things going on. So that created a culture of more trauma um, or kept them in trauma a bit. Uh, peer support, uh, what supports are available in the community, collaboration and mutuality is just working together with every level, um, student, staff, administration and above. Empowerment and choice. Um, choice is a big thing um, to have people bring it back to safety. Um, we need to be offered choices, especially um, after going through a traumatic event sometimes. Um, the, the offer of choice makes us feel in control of things when a lot of times with trauma, control was taken away. So to give a choice, even if it's just two suggestions of it's either this or this, you have the power to choose which one you are able to do. Um, and then cultural, historical, and gender issues. So um, that's making sure that we are up to date with the research, um, constantly learning, and understanding that the people in front of us might be um, experiencing trauma according to cultural, historical, or gender issues that are historic. Hey, I appreciate you going over those so that we can kind of set the stage for what we're talking about. And let's dive in a little bit to... Uh, your school, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, and, and what happened there in February of 2018. Um, we don't want to uh, rehash the whole thing. Uh, if you don't know about it, then I suggest you uh, can learn about it in your own way. Uh, but what we want to talk about here is the aftermath from that and um, how things were handled. Uh, you talked about, for example, kids not having... Um, feeling like there wasn't transparency about what was going on. And this, in education, uh, transparency is a very difficult thing to get everybody on the same page about because mm -hmm. uh, there are laws pr protecting privacy. And um, and I think personally, sometimes we take that a little bit too far, but let's talk about the trustworthiness and transparency issue first. Um, and then we can talk about some of the other aspects of sure. it. So go into a little more detail about what that lack of transparency was, what the perception was there. Sure, so after the traumatic event at our school, um, we kept hearing there's no rule book for this, there's no rule book for this. So when in fact, this has happened many times. So what ends up happening is every principal that has been at a school that this happens ends up calling the next one and after and after. So there's now a group of principals that have all experienced this. And I believe that they have written sort of a manual of what happens to be a rule book. In the very beginning, um, and it was- if a, I if yeah, I may add to that yeah, briefly, of course. Uh, the National Association of Secondary School Principals also has a group specifically for, for principals who have been involved in uh, school shootings or school threats as well. So they're- there is a support group. There is uh, people who are willing and able to talk about it. Not to mention when these things happen, they do 
literally call each other and say, yes. Hey, I heard this happen. Let me, let me help you out here. Totally. So with the tr the trustworthiness and transparency, what ended up happening, happening at the very beginning was the camera crews were around 24 seven. It was, we couldn't even pull into school. And just to give you some context, my school is 3,600 students. This is a high school. It's a very large high school that some colleges are not even that big, you know? Um, so when we had to come to school in the morning, it was pitch black and there were camera crews outside. So this happened every day for a very long time. So anything that we did at the school was under a, a microscope. So what they did instead of anything happening and getting out to the media was they kept things quiet in order to not have, you know, this big train of media trucks outside, which was re-triggering for, for staff, for students. Um, it stressed people out because it reminded them of that day that it was, you know, you couldn't get to the school. So it was an effort put forward to make sure that the camera crews weren't, I guess, set, sending people away or uh, scaring people from coming to school. But what ended up happening was it created lack of transparency and trust that things were held from us because it didn't want to get out to the media and then cause this, you know, cycle of just every single day, people wondering what was going to happen at the school. So one example, a very minor one was uh, a celebrity came to a school, uh, you know, to help us feel better about things. By not letting us know that someone was on campus that would have a very big uh, reaction from both staff and students, um, I, I was at the other side of the school and you heard screaming and running because all the students and staff were trying to get to where that person was, but it actually put many people into a panic that they thought something was happening because those were the things they heard during the event. Yeah. So the lack of transparency in that backfired, that it was supposed to, you know, protect the celebrity from coming in, protect us and they kind of learned that they need to be transparent, at least with the staff. Um, and it's a, a difficult thing to do that with the students, you know, like fire drills, like they do that. So the students are aware, they know where to go uh, during a fire drill, but the, the staff felt that they had to know when that was happening so they could feel better. So some people were offering or offered transparency and some people weren't. And it typically was a student or staff um, choice. Were you going to be transparent to the students? Were you going to be transparent to the staff? Could you be transparent to both? And that took away trust from both sides, from the staff and the students. We're distrustful of administration and above administration, superintendent and even the government, you know, because we were so heavily under scrutiny. Yeah. I, an interesting note on the, um, on the uh, fire drill piece, that was something that I I, as a principal, I never kept secret because they, there was no benefit to it being a mm -hmm. secret. It was much better if everybody knew what was going on. And and it's interesting because I think people's minds have started to change around that, that maybe, hope so. maybe we don't need it to be a surprise and that it's okay for people to know because it, it doesn't, the, there's no benefit to it being a surprise. There can only be uh, negative consequences. And I, Agree. <laughs> Agree. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing that we did with that is we always uh, tried to do uh, fire drills and things like that during awkward times, 
like a passing yes. period or something yes. like that so that we could we could practice it during that weird time so that we could see if it was actually working because you know things don't always go how you totally. plan them yeah totally I could talk about, I mean, fire drills for a very, very long time and, and the noise associated with them that when people are so dysregulated, like when a, when a plane is going through turbulence, are they playing all the emergency sounds? No, because that would stress people out even more. So yeah. when we ring this alarm, uh, and this is something that was happening at our school, they realized that the sound of the fire alarm, because it went off during the incident, was a trigger for everyone that was at the school. So they stopped for four years ringing the sounds. They would come over the intercom and say, we are now going through a drill. And that was an easier way to transition. Um, the staff typically knew. But then once those four years of students graduated, they say, we're, we're back to normal now. There's no one on campus who has experienced trauma when they mean the students have left. Yeah. Um, but that didn't take into account the new students who had trauma from you know middle school or wherever they were at that time. Uh, relating to it. And then the staff who are still there, um, it sends them into a panic each time. And it just, from a regulation standpoint, people can't do what they're supposed to do when they are in fight or flight a lot of times. Um, yeah. it, it's harder for them to do that. So, so that's why, um, you know, when you're on a plane and you go through turbulence, the captain comes on, he's like, Oh, hello, ladies and gentlemen, no big deal, but we've got some turbulence going on. And, they're very calm and cool about mm -hmm. it. Like this is totally natural and nobody needs to worry and people still get worried. And so totally. uh, that, that makes sense. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech having too many tools and not enough time to use them. Right. They require too much training and it takes too much effort to implement it effectively. That's why it makes such a difference that IXL can do the job of dozens of individual tools. So I have everything I need for instruction and assessment in one place. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com BE for a demo. That's IXL.com BE. So uh, one of the other things that I'm in interested about is this idea of empowerment of voice and choice and how that relates after a traumatic event and what what can be done um your point about there being choice taken away in those situations is 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 well heard to me at least and so tell us a little bit more about how to provide uh, more opportunities for for choice uh, after a traumatic event it's a tough one um, it's number one from, from an administration standpoint, know that there is a loss of control for many of these people feel if there's, I, I mean, this is specific to a traumatic event at the school, but the reality is people experience trauma all the time. You can't know outside in the quote unquote real world. Um, people experienced it before, during, and after the specific trauma at our school. 
but the choice was really difficult that we felt like we weren't being considered in anything that we were like, we have a solution here, or we have an idea based on how we are feeling. And it, they never came to us. It was administration never came to the, um, the staff. And then the staff had, um, suggestions on how to work with students that felt their choice was taken away. And we did have these little committees eventually that was like, Hey, students, what do you think we should do, uh, regarding fire drills? Let's say for an example, or the staff, what do you think we should do? So each group kind of had a certain voice and you are not going to please everyone. That was the other part of this whole thing that I don't blame administration, um, for having, they have to make a decision and whatever decision they make will be good for some people and be negative for some people. Um, and we saw that no matter what decision it was, people were happy about it and people were furious about it. So um, by offering at least a choice or having um, a roundtable committee maybe to have them explain why they feel a certain way or they feel that they have a solution instead of just seeing it from, well, we are the ones in the power position here, we have to make the decision, get a group of people to talk to about what they are seeing, because sometimes you're not going to see what is happen happening directly under you or directly over you. You need to have that conversation and that makes them feel a little bit more in control of the situation and have a choice in the situation. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. And so uh, I want to bring up the definition of the three E's definition of trauma from yes. the book, What Happened to You, mm -hmm. that articulates uh, that trauma has three key aspects, the event, the experience, and the effects. And this, I think, is really important to note because different people are going to react in different ways to it. And uh, our belief on this show is that uh, this is very real, that you two people experiencing the exact same thing right next to each other yep. can have completely different responses, including one of them being traumatic and the other one not being traumatic. And so it's important to recognize that these these things have different um, perspectives and experiences, um, but then trying to solve for that for everyone becomes a nearly impossible thing yes. to accomplish. So what's your advice in in being able to do this in an effective way so that people, so that everybody feels heard and not that some people are pandered to and other people are not? Well, I think that is an ongoing conversation, um, but uh, that does happen. You are going to have people that feel that their side of it isn't um, being listened to or being respected. Um, and that is a very difficult thing. We had that, for example, and I can tie that into cultural, historical and gender issues. One of the decisions that was made after everything happened at the school was they loaded the school with a bunch of school resource officers. So it was like a military zone. So there was a specific group of students um, and you can go for cultural, historical and gender issues that felt very unsafe having more police presence on campus when you had parents that were very, um, they were calmer by having 200 police officers on campus. Um, so I think, I love what you said about the three E's because that does make a difference. And I could make, I would love to write a research paper on the school itself and the experiences because a lot of it had to do with proximity. A lot of it had to do with support from the community. We had such a national level of this. We were given support from internationally that people wanted to help. And that's not the case for many people. 
Um, so it, it is very hard to have everyone represented, but when this specific event is gone through, I think that's why it's so important to have these networks of professionals that have gone through it that say, look, this is a list of triggers that you are not going to associate with it, but this is what we've seen. So here's some examples. You, It's impossible to be able to make a list of every one specific trigger because that could be sight-based, that could be smell, it's very sensory. So I know some people were triggered by like helicopters. Well, we can't erase helicopters from like going around, but what they did on campus was made it a no-fly zone because it was so national. Um, mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen at every school. So it, it's always, and you talked about the What Happened To book, that is one of my favorite books. Um, you need to be asking who has gone through this, what would make a big group of people able to cope a bit better at the school, more resilient. Um, but again, you're not going to be able to meet everyone's needs, but I think you can talk to a large group of people and be able to kind of hit similar things. Well, and this brings up something that we talk about over and over on this is that it has to be individualized and personalized for each person that mm -hmm. um, you you can't make blanket statements. You can't make blanket proclamations and say this is how it's going to work for everybody. So to, uh, that leads us into the, the next piece that I think is really important, which is connection. Let's talk about flex time in schools. If you've been listening for a long time, you know how important I think this is. It gives us more time for personalized learning increasing choice and agency for students, and the increased enrollment that comes with it, dedicated time for intervention and enrichment, and overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be so tough. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit myflexlearning.com b to learn more about it and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. It is not on on your list of, mm -hmm. of six things, except under as a subheading of peer support, perhaps. But, totally. Um, but talk about connection and why that matters in, in a situation like this. So I think that, I think connection can fall under each one of the, of the pillars. Um, I view it, Firstly, from a safety uh, viewpoint. So when I had students that were on campus, um, and I think it's in what happened to you, they say you need to, or forming a, a connection with a, someone who has undergone trauma is the strongest way to help them be resilient. Um, so I see it from the safety standpoint of the students that I already had a good relationship with even though I wasn't with them when everything happened, they felt 
good with me. They felt safe with me. Um, and we saw that across campus that it didn't necessarily need to be the person that provided them safety in that moment. It was the person that they had the connection with already or made a connection with after. And that was the case for many students that weren't even mine that, you know, just I saw them out, would ask them, hey, I like noticed you're a little bit different today in the hallway. Do you need to you know, speak to me? Forming that connection was the way to get students and staff members and administrators feeling safe. Um, and I think it also could go under trustworthiness and trans transparency is that the trust, the connection, you have to have a bit of trust. Um, so forming that connection is, I believe, the most important part of it. Um, and again, it hits every single one of those pillars. But one of the other problems with it is that was what we were instructed after everything. It's like form connections with students. And then you had teachers that were like, we're going to form a connection. And it wasn't a natural thing. And they proclaimed themselves, you know, I'm their safe person when the students didn't necessarily necessarily feel that way. So it yeah. has to be a true unforced connection. It has to be honest. And when we were saying, you know, a student would come in the room and they're talking to a peer and you get involved and they're like, what, what is this adult doing here? It's like, oh, I'm just trying to form a connection with you. I need to keep you safe. And I think that was part of the adults trauma. Also, they wanted, it was such a, I need to protect, I need to, to help everyone. Um, and that, that was a big thing, but, um, communication, and I'm a speech pathologist, that, that is what I did at the school. Communication is the biggest thing. Um, and I saw it help to help students and staff become more resilient. I think that was the number one part of it, communication. Yeah, and and what's so interesting is that, again, it, it has to be focused on that person. I um, On my other podcast, Transformative Principal, I talked with Eric McKelkey, who asked his teachers how many students they had a, a positive connection with that they they would say i'm there i'm there yeah. adult. and and they you know like 98 percent of the kids were taken care of he asked the students that same question and only like a third of them said they had an adult at the school and and this is so fascinating to me because we perceive things so differently as adults than kids do and and again you can't force that connection and you can't make that thing happen you have to you have to let it happen naturally and the and the the person who needs the connection is the one who needs to define what that looks like and define whether yes. or not someone is a connection Absolutely. so so for example a teacher may feel like yes i'm i'm that kid's person mm -hmm. that doesn't matter i don't care how they feel it's not yes. relevant to the conversation What's relevant is how the kid feels that they have a person. Secondly, the adult may feel like that kid is their connection and that's totally fine. They may, they need that too. Right. But if it doesn't have to be reciprocal or mutual, either. yes. Talk to me more about that. Oh man. How much time do you have? Because, <laughs> um, that is, uh, I could write papers on that, that, we go into this profession because we like helping. We, we want to work with students and of varying ages. We, we go into it because we want to help. And I think I saw it with many, many teachers that said, oh, you know, they were with me, so they feel safe with me. When they have to, that's the whole trauma informs nature is saying, what else is going on here? What other way could they be feeling, you know? So 
they had to really reflect and say, is this student my safe person? Um, or I feel safe with this student? Or do they feel the same way? And that is a really hard uh, concept for educators because we want to assume that everyone feels safe with us. Everyone feels like we have a good relationship, but that is not the case and you can't be offended by it. That is one thing that I teach to educators and speech pathologists and whatever is you cannot be offended that a, a student, a client is, is not picking you as their person. And that was also seen from a parent standpoint. I can't tell you how many phone calls I got that they, they, it was the parents that were saying, you know what, you're not even my kid's teacher and they just want to talk to you about this. I don't understand why they won't talk to me about it. And they didn't experience it in the way that I did. Or maybe we just had a random moment that they heard what I said and felt that way. Um, and it, it works so randomly like that. It be one specific thing that I say that they connect to and that was very hard for the parents and the community and other teachers to reflect on that I am not someone's safe person. I am not the person who they choose because we we have great intentions with it. We want to protect, but it's not about the intention. It it truly is who that person picks, just like you said. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the the things that matters is that you've always got to be you've always got to be putting out lines for kids mm -hmm. to grab onto. And you have to recognize that, that, okay, so quick, quick dis distraction here, but it's, 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 it's a valid point. Um, when I lived in Alaska, there was a, um, there was a river that I would go fish at uh, called the Buskin. And this thing was teeming with fish, literally thick, thick with fish. And I several times took my GoPro and put it in the water and threw my line out. And then watched as I to oh, see if I could catch any. And cool. it uh I I will put a link to that in the show notes and I'll send Please it to you do. so you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> um so it was really cool because there were so many fish in there and it was really thick. But the thing that was amazing is that my line would go through with a lure that was supposed to get them with food for them to be able to grab on and eat. Yes. And they would not take the bait. And and it was so fascinating to me that I I could put my hook through 500 fish and not a single one of them would take it. And sometimes I would accidentally snag one and that's against the rules. You're not allowed to keep it. So I'd have to throw them back, but sometimes I'd get them right in the mouth. They'd eat it. And then I'd be able to, to bring them in and catch them. And it's the same thing with kids. There can be 500, 3,600 kids in your school and you can be throwing that line out and it's going through every single one of them. Not one of them is taking it. And that's totally fine. And unfortunately, as educators, we get frustrated or offended when they don't take it. And the reality is, is it just wasn't suitable to them. And that's, mm -hmm. that's it. And it's, it's difficult to not get offended by that because we care so much. And yet it is essential that we not get offended by that because we don't choose what it is that they take. And uh, and we have to be okay with that. So give me a, your advice on how teachers can keep throwing out that line, how they can form connections with students. So one of the things I'm really interested right now is the way that I speak to my students is more of a therapy way. I'm not doing therapy with them like a licensed mental health counselor, but I am doing these mini skills um, that allow me to 
have a conversation with them that they feel safe. So that would be active listening, number one, is when a student is, is venting to me or just talking to me about anything and I overtake the conversation, I put in my like two cents and I'm trying to relate to them. What it actually does, I found in the high school setting is say, well, this time was about me. Thank you so much for that conversation. I'm done here. Yeah. Um, so the active listening skills is just saying, oh, tell me more about that. Like act, actively showing an interest, not shutting them down, which there are some things that they said that you, especially in a high school, you're like, we're, we're shutting that down right now. <laughs> but um, they love to feel validated. Students of any age, any client that you have, any student of any age, they need to feel validated. So when some, when a student is telling me something that is difficult, I don't do the toxic positivity of like, eh, it's a, tomorrow's a new day, tomorrow will be better, because that is very dismissive to them. What's better is I say, oh, you know what? That does suck. And they're like, ooh, you said suck or something <laughs> like that. But they they really respect that I'm acknowledging that whether they feel sad or angry or happy about something, I'm saying, I understand why you feel that way. So these are all mini skills and there's many more mini skills in mental health counseling that I use to have a conversation that I'm not steamrolling a student and taking over the time when we know about that age, and I was a teenager that was all about me, um, it, it's very hard to have a conversation with an adult that is taking over their time and changing the subject. They want to talk about themselves, so let them acknowledge what they are feeling. Um, and I think that is a, a really good place to start. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the B podcast network that the show is a part of, there's a podcast called morning motivation for educators and Joey Massio did a fantastic job talking about that subject called it's not personal. Uh, okay. that's the episode of that one. I think it's episode two or three. So you might have to scroll back a ways cause it's a daily podcast, but that one, that is really powerful. In fact, I'll put a link to that in here as well, since I'm thinking about it, because that is, that is one thing that I've said many times, especially in the trauma training that I've done, uh, is that it's not, it's not personal. And even okay. though it may feel personal and it especially feels personal because of who we are as educators, um, it's, uh, it's definitely not. So there's a link to that and correction on the, the rivers. It was the olds and the Russian river. <laughs> uh, but those links are in the show notes at resilientschools.com. So make sure you, uh, you check those out if you're listening to this right now. Um, and then there's also a link to the podcast. It's not personal, uh, with Joy Massio. That is exactly true. Um, uh, Rachel, this has been great chatting with you. I appreciate it. How would you like people to get a hold of you and connect with you? Sure. So, um, I have the Instagram page, ptsd.slp. Uh, I am working on building a website right now. It says under construction, but it's ptsdslp.com. Uh, and you can contact me there. Uh, feel free to, if you don't have an Instagram, uh, you can email me. I'll put my email uh, to you guys and you can have that in the show notes. And yeah, I, I love discussing anything trauma-informed care, um, any situations that arise and feel free to message me. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you being here and being part of Resilient Schools on the B Podcast Network. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for having me. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. 
When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.